Um, am I allowed to say that? Where is the love? everyone and welcome back to episode three of the to be honest podcast today is a very special day because today I have my sister with me and what some of you may not know is that the person who's singing on my intro song is my sister the person who produced it his name is David Harris he's an amazing amazing uh, musician and artist and you should definitely check out his music and the person singing is my sister. And I am so, I have been dreaming about this day for many, many weeks. So I'm very excited to have my sister with me. Swan, is there anything you'd like to say to the people? What if I just froze? <laughs> I, I literally, it just kind of washed over me like this, almost like this nervous feeling. And I thought, what if I just froze and said and, nothing? And stared at me. And just stared at you. <laughs> Like with this blank stare, because that's almost how I feel right now. I've been dreaming about this day, Stefan. <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly so excited. I, I actually was waiting for you to ask me. The moment you said you were starting a podcast, I literally thought, I'm so happy for you. When are you going to ask me to be on the show? <laughs> you, you started writing this episode. I did. The day I, I launched my podcast. I really did. I actually presented it to you. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a rough draft. Just think about it. Yeah. No pressure. Yes, but I am. Um, I'm so thrilled to be to be a guest. Yes, well, I'm so excited to have you. And what some of you may not know is that Stefan and I are we're nine and a half years apart, so we have quite the age gap between us. But it's been really fun. I feel like our life has been almost in favor of us having that age gap, and just you know, me being able to look up to you when I was younger and. Um, have a a strong female support in my life. So yeah. it it worked out great for me, is what I'm saying. Having you being old er. Older. <laughs> hey. Ha. Huh. I was gonna tell them that I was younger, but you just let that cat out of the bag. <laughs> um yeah, you know, and it's really great now too because it's like we're best friends. Right. You know, now it's it's like we don't I don't even think about us having that kind of age gap. Right. So something that I wanted to do, um, well, actually, Stefan came up with this idea to do um, a, are they called rapid fire? Yeah. Rapid fire questions. And so we're going to do a few of these rapid fire questions and see, we're going to quiz each other on our childhood and see how many we um, we get right. And then we're going to jump into um, into today's episode. So why don't, why don't you start with yours um, and then... I'm nervous. I'm scared. Okay. And it's rapid fire, so it has to be the first thing that comes to my mind. Well, the first one's going to be easy. Okay. So I'm like, this is this is your easiest question okay. for sure. What was dad's most favorite Christmas wrapping paper? Trash bags. Okay. There's so many things we're going to have to explain. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when he bought you that coat and wrapped it in trash bags? Oh, you know... There was so much dysfunction, I didn't think anything of it. <laughs> I just thought... This is a gift. Yeah. Okay. Trash bags. You Trash are right. Trash bags. Wow. Okay. okay. So I feel like right out the gate, people kind of have an understanding of the... Um, of our childhood? Yeah. Of the okay. drama. Okay. <laughs> Next, You go. Next one. Oh, I keep going? Yeah. Okay. Uh, where did we always go sledding? The hill on McEwen behind uh, Hawk's Nest. Yes. That was the hill. Gosh. That I, was a great hill. That was a great... We don't have any hills like that around here. I wonder if it's still there. I mean, yeah, they can't take down. There were houses on it. 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> that checks out. Uh, what was my first job that became a family business? Was it the Darty dog walking business? Yes. Wow. Okay. Gosh, Darty's doggy duty. Okay, we could have really gone somewhere with that. Well, we I handed it off to Brooks, and then you started, you know, doing it dog sitting and yeah. stuff like that yeah. for the neighbor. So it really well, was. I really dropped the ball on that. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, when we had the incident. Uh, where you lost your pinky. Shut up, because I have a question for you about that specifically. Okay, well, answer mine first. When we had the incident where you lost your pinky, what friend of mine was over? Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Okay, well, first of all, I was, what, three months old? It doesn't matter. I was, how am I supposed to know that? Not relevant. How old how, was I, six months old? No, you were like, you were a year old. You were a little bit over a year old. Okay. I mean, still a baby. You were a baby. Okay. You might have been like three. I don't know. Okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a name, but I'm going to have to bleep it out on the okay. podcast. Okay, uh, was it... Or wait. I never thought of my name. <laughs> I just merged two... Two, two different friends together. Wait, wait. Uh, okay, so was I didn't it? know you would have to bleep this name out. I, so, so maybe I'm going to tell you who it was. Okay, we'll, we'll just whisper it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, never mind. Um, okay, last one. Okay. What was Dad's most famous meal? Oh, Barbecue chicken and rice. Yes. Every okay. night. So you didn't do bad. I mean, you got you got four out of five. Okay. Okay, that's good. That's good. All right, you ready? Yeah. Okay, name a movie or show I saw when I was way too young. A movie or a show? That, uh, the Godfather. That was one, one of many. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was also into The Sopranos. Yes. When I was like seven, and I was also into Goodfellas. You know what's funny is... Do you have you seen The Godfather? Yeah, I have. So they have that scene where the horse head. Yeah. Which let me just say I think I was 5 when I saw that. Yeah. But the wild thing is is I never really thought anything of that because there was so much trauma in my life already that a horse head was just like look at that. You know, like it wasn't But you know what else is funny is I feel like people, young kids who would have seen that who are pure and who have a very supportive household who have parents who love them and, you know, feel safe. I feel like if they would have saw that, they're still in counseling today and they're 30 from seeing that. But I haven't thought about that scene since until this, this very moment. moment. Yeah. <laughs> right here, right, right now. Yeah. So, yeah, anything that had to do with um, with mobsters or um, yeah. anything like that, we, we saw. We probably know every word to all those movies. Right. And I was punished for cussing, yet there were zero parental controls. I mean, were you really punished for cussing? Okay, well let me let me lead you into my into my second question, okay? What was my punishment from mom when I dropped the F bomb at six years old in front of Brooks's friends? Uh did she make you eat soap? Yes. She washed my mouth out with soap and let me just tell you, apparently I did not fear the taste of that soap for long after that. Yeah. <laughs> I think you actually finished the bar of soap. Probably. When she wasn't around. <laughs> it was the only food we had in the house. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, the thing is, is a lot of people are going to think we're joking when, we're, when we talk about some of this trauma stuff. But, no, I mean, we'll we are get, joking with each other. Yeah. But <laughs> And we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Okay. But, 
Okay, here's here's a question. Now I want you to I want you to really think about this before you answer. Okay. Whose fault was it really that I almost completely lost my pinky finger when I was an infant? It was Brooks's fault. Um but he might say it was my fault. And further investigation might also say it was my fault. Here's what happened. I was trying to close the door because me and my friend were over, okay? And we wanted to hang out without my little brother, uh-huh. you know, in the room. And Brooks was trying to open the door, okay? okay? So he was trying to bother us. And I was just trying to survive. And you I, said I was you just... got in the middle and you put your finger in the hinge. And then I closed the door completely. Oh. <sighs> Okay, so you had the last close. I had the last I had the last close, well, but if it, Brooks had not been, you know, yeah. bothering us. Well, I haven't really known. It's kind of worked out that I haven't really known exactly whose fault it was cuz I don't know who to be bitter at. So there's just kind of just this anger that's kind of floating yeah. in the air, but I mean, you got to keep your pinky. I did, but I will tell you, it look I just want you to look at this. I mean, there's definitely a difference. <laughs> I mean, how can you look at that and tell me? They're sisters, not twins. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it's funny is I'll be getting my nails done and they'll go and they'll do, you know, these nails and then they'll get to this one <laughs> and they won't say anything, but they'll go, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what means, but what I can say is that it, it was, was almost, an accident. It was almost gone. Yeah. So yeah. let's be thankful that it's there because at one point it was hanging off of my hand. Yeah, it actually. You know what it looks job. like? They did a good job. They did a good job. If if it was a transplant, it looks like a somebody put it, it another really finger does look right like a different. It doesn't look like like it they were like, who would hand. like to donate a pinky to this infant <laughs> child? And they were like, you okay? And then it just kind of, yeah. So thankful for that. Okay, what did I say in a moment of complete hysteria the night that Dad died that made you look up at me, stop crying, and start laughing? You literally said, I have peace. <laughs> you are sobbing your eyes out, okay? And we're, we're, we're down in the basement, and um, you're sobbing, and you, you're in the middle of your sob. You look over at me, and you go, I have peace. <laughs> and I, I, I lost my mind because I, it made me laugh so hard Yeah, in, like, this terrible moment because it was like, I look over you and I was like, you could not be further from peace I right now. I was on the ground <laughs> screaming. Yeah, that was, wow. That's for, that's for another episode, but I'll ex- allow me to explain myself <laughs> in another episode. Okay, that's all I got. Yeah. I did good. You did good. Yeah, we did pretty good. I mean, we... Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to have my sister on today because I believe that her her story is is really important, and she's been able to help a lot of um, women and men who have experienced what what she's experienced in her life. But before we jump into um, your story, Stefan, I think we should probably share a little bit about our family life. Um, that led to this big moment. So I'll let you <laughs> take that one away. Yeah. Um, you know, our, I, I would say like our, we, we definitely had a dysfunctional home mm-hmm. growing up. You know, our parents never got along 
never uh, got along. And then they actually ended up getting divorced when I was 15 and, you know, you were five. And, um, you know, we were poor growing up. We were a family of five. We lived in a two-bedroom apartment. And um, there was just a lot of fighting and, like I said, a lot of dysfunction. And pretty much when mom and dad split, um, I really took off and just did whatever I wanted. Mm -hmm. I had no parental supervision. Not like there was a lot before then because mom and dad were just so consumed by their own marital issues and their financial problems um, and job issues, things like that, that I feel like a lot of the parenting that we should have had and the guidance that we should have had, it just, it did not exist. And so, you know, we fell through the cracks and I was really at such an impressionable age. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a teenager, you know, so I being allowed to hang out with whoever I wanted and do whatever I wanted, um, you know, I just had no, no boundaries, no restrictions, um, sometimes there were rules placed on me, but not really. And nobody really ever kind of checked up on me. Or enforced anything. Or enforced anything like yeah. that, you know. Um, so that's just kind of a little bit, I mean, to not go into great detail about, you know, the dysfunction of our of our childhood, um, that's just kind of a roundabout yeah. explanation of, of maybe how things were for us. Yeah. I You know, I don't remember... A lot, and the things that I do remember were um, it's all trauma, it's all verbal abuse, and it's all um, uh, neglect. Those are the things that I remember. I remember, I remember being very poor, and I think, you know, we understand what the what the word poor means. It's not like we couldn't get our favorite American Girl doll. It's like we had government assistance and sponsored Christmases. And I remember, you know, I remember our family sticking out because we lived in, in Centerville. Yeah. And it was like, everybody had money. It just, I remember knowing at a very young age that our family was extremely different. And the reason that we actually had to live where we lived, um, because people would be like, well, why did you, you lived in a wealthy community but you were very poor living in a wealthy community. Why, why did you do that? Well, because it, our mom's job, she had to be able to walk to work. Right. Because we didn't have a car. Yeah. And if we did have a car, we only had one car. And, um, and they were always like, you know, it was hit or miss whether or not they were even going to start. So she always had to have the ability to walk to work. Mm -hmm. And that's, so that's why we lived where we lived. And we were a family of five. Right. Living in a two bedroom. Right. Right. And one of one of us had a, a walk in closet for our bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. The apartment that we lived in, it actually had a really large closet. And um so because of that, it had like a double closet in the master bedroom. And so I remember that. Yeah. So because of that we actually took all the clothes out of it and um, put a bed on the floor and that, you know, that became one of the bedrooms for yeah. us. I mean, it's probably not much bigger. No, it wasn't. It wasn't any bigger than what we're sitting in. Right. You know. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> thank you, Stefan. Sorry. Um, I, <laughs> I don't have a studio, okay? Can you let me just Let me just, no, you know what? I'm going to leave it in, Okay. <laughs> Because the people need to know, I don't have a studio, and um, 
I have the bare, I have like essentially no equipment. And so we're sitting in my sister's closet right now recording this episode. Um, so because yeah. it has the best sound, like it does. We, we, there's no vaulted ceilings or anything like that. And the sound, there's a lot of clothes to yeah. help, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm working towards a studio. Um, that's a lie. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not working towards a studio, but, um, yeah, we're in a closet recording. How yeah. Fun. Anyway. Anyway, yeah, the nostalgia of this closet reminds me of one of the bedrooms as a child. <laughs> it's really quite uh, perfect that we're in here. But um, all of that being said, and, you know, there's further detail that we could go into about um, about our childhood. However, I don't think that there's enough time in this episode for us to be able to do that. So, Stefan, I know that you know, you said you were at such an impress, an impressionable age. Um, and how do you feel like you dealt with the trauma of what was happening in our home? What did you do to attempt to um, feel okay and feel safe and feel better? You know, I was always looking for an escape. And um, so because of that, you know, um, anything I could get my hands on, like, and it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard to get drugs. It wasn't hard to get alcohol. Like none of that was, was challenging, um, to get a hold of. There were always people who were willing to get that, um, for you. And so because I had, you know, I had a job at such a young age, if I wanted something, I had to, to earn the money to get it. And so, um, so the great thing about that was it made me a really hard worker, but yeah. you know, well, we've all got goals of things we're working towards and yeah. yours were drugs. Mine were <laughs> drugs, honestly. And so, and, and alcohol. And so oh. anyway, that's, I really, from, from the time I think I started, um, I started doing drugs and, and drinking and smoking when I was, when I was like 11 years old mm-hmm. and 12 years old, I mean, going to parties by the time I was out of middle school, like in middle school, all of middle school, I was already like hardcore partying. So by the time right. I got to high school, you know, I was no stranger to just about anything. Right. Yeah. So that's not when it started for me. It started for me in elementary school mm-hmm. and carried all through, you know, um, middle school and high school. And so that was my escape. You know, I would I would just get as drunk as I possibly could. It was never like, oh, you know, you've reached your limit or whatever. I, I never really kind of felt that it was like drink till you pass out, drink till you black out, yeah. you know, and then do whatever other drugs are available at the time. And so that's exactly what I did. Yeah. And, and to uh, be honest, like you're lucky to be alive. I'm very lucky to be alive. Because I know the stories and I, yeah. you know, I've, I've heard some, that there were some very scary moments yeah. in all of that. For sure. I'm very, very lucky, very thankful um, to be alive. So before we jump into the the second part of your story, Stefan, I want to preface I want to preface this section by saying that this episode is not intended to be um, a political statement or not even necessarily a political stance. I just wanted my sister to be able to share her story and what happened to her personally because I think one thing that we have to understand is that not everybody's story is the same. And not everybody experiences things the exact same way. And I wanted my sister to be able to share from her perspective and from her story of what she experienced because I know for a fact that there are so many other 
women out there who have experienced the same thing that she has. And so why don't you just go ahead and, and share, you can pick up from, from right where you left off and kind of what led you to have to make this, this big decision. So it was right when our parents, our parents split up, mom had just moved out and, um, you know, our father was really, really struggling with depression and obviously, you know, the, the whole experience of going through a divorce and having three kids and, um, and all that, that entails. And so, um, I of course was just out doing what I do, just partying and, um, you know, I, I'll, ne- I'll never forget the night, uh, you know, that, that it happened. I'll never forget. I was, I shared a bottle of Jack Daniels, um, with some friends and, um, anyway, I, I ended up, I ended up sleeping with, with the guy that it was his apartment we were at, we were partying at his apartment. I was 15 years old and I ended up sleeping with him. And then a few weeks later, I, I found out that I was pregnant. Can you explain what that moment was like and maybe who you were with and and where, where you were? Yeah. So I was, I was with, um, I was with one of my friends and I actually thought, you know what? I knew, like, I knew there was definitely a possibility that I could be pregnant, but I, I think I, I wanted to like pretend that there wasn't, mm-hmm. you know? And so, which I, I've heard that I've heard, it's so funny you say that because I've heard other young women, women say that yeah, who have almost like there was a knowing that they were pregnant, but it was like, if they ignored it and put it off, then it, it didn't exist and it wasn't real. And that's kind of how I felt. I thought like, maybe, maybe this is not real, even though I definitely, I, I really, really felt like I was, um, but, and not having ever been pregnant before, I didn't really know, you know, what to necessarily be looking out for. I, you just kind of know. And mm-hmm. so, um, but I really wanted to pretend that I wasn't. And, um, so I decided I was going to go, um, try to get on some birth control pills and that's, you know, I probably, I should have been on them long before this, but, um, I, I decided, you know what, maybe I'll just go try to get on some birth control pills and then I won't ever have to like be afraid of this again. Yeah. You know, not like there's nothing else to worry about, but like, you know, but I'll just, you know, never have to think about this again. And, and so, um, I went to, I went to a clinic to get on birth control pills and as a routine, they give everyone who comes in their doors a pregnancy test. And so, so you were at the clinic when yeah, you found out. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah. So I went to the clinic to um, to get birth control pills, and they gave me the routine pregnancy test, and it was like instant. Like they came right back into the room, you know, because they'd asked me, "Is there a possibility that you're pregnant now?" And I was like, "Yes, you know, there's a possibility that I'm pregnant now." And it was it was like pretty instant that that test turned up positive, and so. She was like telling me that they could do this another test if it was positive to kind of tell me how far along I was and things like that. And so it's what she did as soon as it came up positive, she said, do you want us to go ahead and run that other test because it's positive? And were you in the room alone? Yes, was your, it, okay. it was just me and the nurse or, or I'm assuming she was a nurse. What did you do? Um, I literally, it was like my mouth went dry. You know what I mean? Like the color washed out of my face. 
even though I had, I felt like I probably was, it was like the realization that this was really happening. Yeah. I will I, never I, forget that moment. Right. And I think it's a good reminder for the listeners to, to keep in mind that you were 15. Yeah. You were 15 at the time. Yeah. So I was 15 at the time. And so I, she tells me, she looks at me, she says, do you want to do this test? You know, basically to see how far along you are. And I looked at her and I said, no, I got to tell my parents first. Mm. So that was the, that was the first thing that I said to her. And I was like, I was in total shock. Yeah. Like, even though I knew it was like, I just felt like, and instantly, here's the thing. Instantly, as soon as she told me that it was like, instantly I was completely pregnant. You know what I mean? Like I could feel every ounce of like pregnancy symptom. It was (laughs) magnified. Your eyelashes were pregnant. (laughs) Honestly, I mean it. Like I was completely pregnant after she told me that it was like, all of a sudden, all those things that, all those symptoms that I had been trying to ignore, it was like they were loud and clear. Right. Um, so yeah, I walked out of the clinic and I, and I told my friend, I, she's like, you know, did you get the pills? And I was like, no, I didn't get the pills. I'm pregnant. Yeah. You know, like it's a little too late. Yeah. And I, it was silence in the car on the way home because she had driven me there. And so it was dead silence. Like I, it was just like one of those kind of car rides where it was like, I couldn't even speak, Mm -hmm. you know, just trying to process and think about what this meant and what this was going to look like. And, um, you know, especially in our, our current situation, you know, and, um, so that's really how that kind of unfolded at me finding out, well, I get, you know, I'm telling her, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, whatever, whatever. So she goes home and she, she gets in trouble. She gets in trouble for, um, she was supposed to be grounded, I guess, from her car. <laughs> and so she wasn't supposed to have privilege, driving privileges and, um, anyway, so she goes home and she tells her mom, okay, listen, this is why I had to take the car mm-hmm. because this is what's going on. Tells her mom what's going on. And her mom, rather than getting mad at her, says, okay, well, I want to help. What is she's like, I want to, I want to, let's, let's fix this. And so, um, started telling me all these, um, different connected me with, the, the clinic I had just left, they, she, her mom connected me with the director of that clinic so that she could tell me about how I could get an abortion without my parents ever having to know that I was pregnant. Wow. Wow. I just, I can't imagine, I can't imagine, you know, I don't have kids, but I can't imagine having a child and their friend going through something like that and my initial response be let me help you make sure your parents never know about this and even knowing that that was an option um so can you can you explain to everyone how that was possible from for mom and dad to never find out about it and for you to be able to legally make decisions from there yeah so i went um through the juvenile court system, and I obtained this document. It's called a judicial bypass. And basically what they do is the juvenile court system, they will they will appoint an attorney to you. Um, and all of this is free. And they appoint attorney an attorney to you, and that attorney acts as your legal guardian. 
this person that you you meet like one time like you go you you sit down you talk to this this lawyer and then um you know you tell them you know whatever you why you want an abortion or and um and literally like I was just like I'm I'm 15 that's mm-hmm. why I want an abortion I, I'm 15 you know and I don't want to tell my parents I'm pregnant and so it was very easy for you yeah and so I was like they they were like okay um so they never they never asked about you know the the dad or anything like that and um met with this attorney one time and then I was able to obtain the document I had to go before the judge and say why I wanted an abortion went before the judge did that and got all the paperwork together to obtain um the document to have an abortion without my parents ever knowing about it went to all my doctor's appointments without without anybody in fact, my friend took me to all my doctor's appointments, so there was never anybody over the age of 16 with me mm-hmm. at my doctor's appointments, at my attorney appointments, at my court hearing. It was me and my me 15 and my 16-year-old friend. And from what I understand, a the judicial bypass is still in effect today, correct? It's still in effect, and I don't know how many states it's in effect. I know it's it's in effect for Ohio, um, but I don't I don't really know. I haven't done the research. Mm-hmm on, you know, how many other states allow that. So, um, so how long was it from the moment that you obtained the legal document to, to move forward and to, to be able to have an abortion? How long was it before you scheduled your appointment? I mean, it, I think all of this happened within a three week time frame. So, I mean, it was move, it was fast pace, mm-hmm. you know, it was moving at a very fast pace. So like, um, and I scheduled my I scheduled my appointment for September eighth, nineteen ninety nine. So um, on September eighth, nineteen ninety nine, I took that document that didn't even have my real name on it. I had to go under the alias of Jane Doe because there's they do that too, so that there's no documentation that you were ever there in case your parents or anybody ever tries to find out. This just seems like it's so crazy, Stefan. Like, how- yeah. And I guess now, especially now being a mom myself, right? thinking about one of my kids being allowed to do this, like I, you know, my kids, like they can't even, you can't even go get a physical. No. Like Like you can't do anything without your parents. Right. But you can at 14, 15, 16, get an abortion without your parents ever knowing. I mean, that just, it's kind of mind, it's kind of mind blowing. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I did, I went and, um. I had the the surgical procedure, and I went under the alias of Jane Doe. So let's we you show up at this clinic, and and you're you sign in, and you're waiting. What was that moment like for you in just in the waiting room, knowing what was about to happen, knowing the decision that you were about to make? What were you feeling? What were you thinking? Did you feel completely numb? Were you completely shut off to emotion? Did you feel everything? What was that like? I completely shut myself off to all emotion, which is honestly very scary that I was able to do that. But I was like, I made myself completely numb. I would not allow myself to think about it. I like, I was like, I became very robotic. Like Mm -hmm. I've got to go in, just get this over with, go through the motions, you know, and then whatever the outcome afterwards is, it is what it is. Yeah. I just have to get through this right now, you know, and so. So when they called your name, did they say Jane Doe? Jane Doe. Wow. Yeah. And so I went in 
I went in and, um, you know, they did the ultrasound to see how far along I was. And I remember I asked her, because they keep, they keep it turned away from you so that you can't see it. And so um, I remember asking her, I said, can, can I see it? Can I, you know, I want to, I want to see, I want to see the ultrasound. And she looked at me funny and I said, what? You know, I mean, I'm 15, you right. know, and I'm like, I said, what? And she said, well, nothing. She said, just most women don't want to. And I said, okay, well, I do. And it was almost like I, I, I needed, I needed to. It was yeah. like, I was like, to I To make had, it a reality. To, yeah. I was like, you, you, you know, you're here, you're doing this you have to at least do this, you know? Yeah. Like, you may be able to shut everything else off, but, like, you you at least have to do this. Right. And so I'll, I'll never forget it as long as I live looking at the ultrasound and then looking at the printout of the ultrasound. Um, and so I was— Were you I, able to see a formation? Oh, yeah. I was only—I was one day— I was, so I was almost in my second trimester. I was one day away from my second trimester. Wow. So they told me if I had, if I had waited like one more day and they, or maybe one more, I mean, one or two more days, it was like within a few days time period, they would have had to do a completely different procedure. Wow. A very, um, like a longer, you know, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know all that, that, that other procedure would entail, but. So what was going through your mind when, when she showed you the screen and you were able to see your baby? I, I literally told myself, you'll never forget. You'll never forget this picture. Mm-hmm. You'll never forget the image of this baby ever. Yeah. And that... And then I, and I thought it was like, I looked at the picture and I was like, but you don't have a choice. That's literally what I told myself. Felt trapped. I felt trapped for some, for, for people, like for us to feel like we were supposed to have so many choices and so many options. That was the only choice that was ever offered to me. Mm. And that was the only choice that I felt like I had. And so I looked at that picture and I literally told myself, you don't have any other choice. This is your only choice. Yeah. And so you will go in and you will go through with this. And whatever happens afterwards will happen. But you, this is your only choice. I, I remember you having, you know, because I, I didn't find out what happened until years later. Mm-hmm. But I do remember that you had a lot of health complications. I remember yeah. seeing you in bed a lot, not just uh, physical complications, but obviously the state of your mental health mm-hmm. was declining mm-hmm. like rapidly. And I do remember seeing that and I do remember feeling that. So can you explain what happened in the months to follow? Yeah, so I... Um Physically, there were some complications, um, so I had to keep going back to the abortion clinic um, on numerous occasions, um, so that they could do more ultrasounds, so that they could, you know, do do more uh, more procedures, and um, 
I, I think I, man, I don't know how many times I ended up having to go back. It was at least three times that I had to go back um, because they couldn't, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. If they missed something, they, they just like, you know, but the fit physically I was not doing well. And, um, so much so that mom eventually found out because one of, one of my friends from school, um, went home and told her mom. And then her mom, uh, actually called and left the message with mom's, with the receptionist at mom's work. Classy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, mom came and picked me up from school and I, I, the, when they called me down to the office and said, your mom's here, I knew, yeah. I knew she knew because mom didn't come pick us up from school, you know, like, right. So I knew she knew. And so she ended up finding out and she was able to help me get, um, further medical care, the medical care that I actually needed. Right. Like, um, and she, you know, they were able to kind of, they were able to get to the root of the problem and, um, you know, any damage that had been done, you know, we didn't know. We didn't know. But emotionally and mentally, I was not okay. Yeah. I mean, just like, we're talking about like everyday panic attacks and just shaking and and just sobbing and, you know, laying on the bathroom floor just crying and crying and crying and crying. And months and months of this, you know, um, like not just months and months of this, but then like months and months of this and then like periodically through, uh, throughout the years, you know, after this. And I'll never forget the woman at the clinic, the abortion clinic telling me, you will be able, you're going to get this over with, you're going to get this done with, and you're going to be able to go on with your life like nothing ever happened. And you're going to go to college and, you know, X, Y, Z, and there's just going to be nothing that stops you, like nothing, like nothing ever happened. And that could not have been further from the truth. That was the picture that was painted for me, but that was not what my reality was. My reality was I'm waking up every day and I'm, I can't even look at myself in the mirror. My reality was like physically, you know, I'm supposed to be like all healed up and, you know, moving on with my life. And physically I'm still suffering, not just emotionally. And not to mention the the kids at school that had found out. Then kids at school found out. And then it was... And they bullied you. They bullied me. It was a huge ordeal, you know. Um, yeah, a huge ordeal. Like, everyone found out. It wasn't just like... It wasn't just like a very isolated thing. It was like everyone found out about it, you know. And um, so then there was that. And um, then... Skipping ahead, I guess, a little bit, you know, just to to kind of pinpoint, because I'll never forget this moment. I went to go apply for financial aid for college because I'll never forget the woman at the clinic clinic saying, you're going to be able to go on with your life as normal. You'll be able to go to college. You'll be able to, you know, all these things that having a baby would, quote, unquote, you know, prevent you from doing, even though people do it every day. You know, mm-hmm. like, but all these things that, you know, people think that a ba- having a baby, you know, would stop you from doing. Um, and I went to go apply for college 
I went to go apply for financial aid because obviously, you know, I mean, obviously we didn't have my parents, you know, our parents did not have enough money to send me to college. Um, so I went to go apply for financial aid and this is what they told me that I couldn't, I couldn't get financial aid or fine or student loans at the time. Um, because, but if I, if I were in the military, if I were married, if I were 25 or if I had a child or any dependents, like any children, then I would have been able to get it. And I'll never forget when they said that to me, remembering that woman tell me, you know, you're going to be able to do X, Y, Z, like nothing ever happened. And just thinking like, you got to be kidding me. And here's the thing is that nothing, no help afterwards was offered to me. So I guess the expectation is that you are just going to bounce back and go back to living life as normal because they don't offer any, at least in that time, they did not offer any help for you afterwards. I think I'll never forget the night that you told dad. Yeah. Because how old were you at the time that you told him? Because I think you told me shortly after that. I was 21 when I told dad. Um, I just I just felt like it was an area of my life that I wanted to be able to share and to talk about. And I knew I could not do that without him knowing. Right. Because you started traveling with Eddie James. Yeah. You started sharing your testimony. Yeah. You finally began to receive some help and healing. I did. Which will talk yeah. about at the end of the episode, but um, I remember because I, I was told, you know, to go downstairs for a while. And I, I remember I came upstairs about 40 minutes later and you were sitting on the couch with dad and I'll never forget. He just had tears streaming down his face and was just crying. Mm-hmm. Like I'd never seen him cry. Yeah. Just complete and utter heartbreak not o- not only just over the fact that that you had had an abortion but over the fact that he was unaware of it mm-hmm. and that he felt like he failed yeah he felt like he failed you yeah and you know there was there was more to to the story than just just the loss but the the despair of what he felt in that moment and i remember when you told me i will never forget the day that you told me because i think we were we were at chipotle and we were sitting down and, and you were kind of explaining, which at the time I think I was 11, 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And you were explaining to me what had happened. And I felt like I, I completely froze up. And I remember getting up to go to the bathroom and throwing up in the toilet. Mm-hmm. It was like I was, I could not emotionally, I could not emotionally process what happened but physically it it hit me Mm -hmm. and I think for me the the thing that made it the most real for me to understand and you know no one will ever fully understand your personal story Mm -hmm. but I think the thing that made it the most real to me was when one of the steps of your when you were walking out your healing was to and this was you know, for everyone listening, this was a decision that our family made. And this is a this is a part of my sister's story and how she got free and how she got healed. And we had a a very, very small funeral mm-hmm. for her. And 
I, we all wrote a letter to her. And I'll never forget that, just realizing in that moment the, the grief of what you had gone through and seeing Brooks and dad just, you sob. know, sob. Here's the thing, too, that, we, that I forgot like, to mention earlier on. You know, when I was talking about going in to get the judicial bypass, how they didn't ask me any questions about the father, anything like that. Um, I was 15, and and the dad of my baby was 20 years old, almost 21. And so there's definitely some statutory rape laws that were broken. And, um, you know, that I have no doubt our father would have pursued, you know— um, would have pursued charges against him, you know? Um, but that's another thing. Like they were not, they were not really trying to protect me. They never asked me any of those questions, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, they never asked me any of those questions. So they never knew like, so as far as they, like they had no idea who the father could have been. They had no idea. Like, yes, this is a statutory rape situation or, you know, in any other situation that could have been so dangerous. They just never asked me any of those questions, you know? And so here we are all these years later, you know, and, and our family is, is sitting here and we're having like this memorial service because it was, it was a part of my healing. It was a part of me, um, honoring that one, a life did exist, you know, um, that that baby did have, um, significance to me. Right. And, um, that it, that everything that took place really happened. All those things that I had made myself numb to all those feelings, they were there and they existed. Confronting that trauma. Yes. It was a hundred percent like looking it straight in the face and saying, okay, you are real. These feelings are real and I'm acknowledging them Yeah, and I'm dealing with them and I'm yeah. going to process them. And so it was, it was all of that. And then for our whole family and even for dad having to like knowing, you know, okay, not only did my daughter go through this, but then there's like, this was, there's such an injustice here because this was a statutory rape situation and I'm never going to have that. He's never going to have that justice, you know, as a father. Um, And so just all those things, like our whole family as individuals were processing differently. Right. And they were dealing with this differently. It wasn't just my my trauma or my grief or my experience. It was our whole family's experience. Right. And everybody was processing it differently. And that moment, having that memorial service, that might sound weird to people. And that's fine. Yeah. But this is my story, you know? And everybody has to deal with things the way that they see fit. And this is how we were able to process and this is how we were able to heal. But writing those letters, receiving those letters, knowing that my family was in my corner. Right. You know, knowing that my family was like there for me. And even for, I think, you guys and for dad and for mom, knowing like, okay, we weren't there in the moment, but we're here now. Yeah. You know, we were robbed from, we were robbed from the ability to be able to be there for our daughter in the moment. Yeah. Okay. But we're here now. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, we're going to, we're going to walk this out as a family. It honestly, where there had been so much dysfunction 
and so much um, brokenness and division in our family, this traumatic experience brought us together. Right. And I think I just, I remember sitting there and just thinking, you know, I'm looking around the room and just the dysfunction in our family. And so many things became real to me at that moment. The, The trauma of our childhood and the things that we tried to forget and, you know, just looking around the room and looking at our family and just thinking like, oh my gosh, like what a tragedy. Mm-hmm. What a tragedy that in the midst of so much trauma, in the midst of so much going on in our family that that you had to walk through that silently yeah, and alone. And that there was nothing that any of us could do for you to, to help you. And, you know, just thinking, man, I wonder, I wonder if things could be different if she would have gotten the help that she needed when she needed it. Oh, 100%. What if, I, I mean, I've thought about that, I mean, so many times. Like, what if, you know, my friend's mom wouldn't have stepped in? Or what if she would have stepped in and, and actually been there to really help me and not just necessarily push her agenda, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but what if she would have said, okay, let's, I'll sit down with you when you tell your parents. Right. You know, and then you make that decision with your parents. You know, what if, what if the court would have been like on my parents' side? You know, what if the, you know, what if the law would have been on their side to say, hey, you know what, you're, you're the parent here. And so you're responsible you're responsible yeah. for your 15-year-old daughter, you know, mm-hmm. and so you guys got to make this decision together. You know, what if what if that would have happened? Yeah. You know, what it might I might be telling a different story today. Yeah. But I'll never know. Um <clears throat> I'll ne- yeah, I'll just I'll never know. But I also know like that Every woman's experience is different, and we should all be allowed to have that experience. That's the thing. Like, we should all be allowed to have those feelings of um, of regret yeah. or, you know, of disappointment or of heartache, you know? And not be shamed. And not be shamed for, for feeling bad or having regret about choice a choice to have an abortion, okay? Like, right. we should not be made to feel— um, like we're stupid for having those feelings. Yeah. You know? Right. Like it's 2021. It's 2020. You're empowered. Yeah. You're a yeah. woman. This was your right. Yeah. You know? Look at your life now. Like just the and even just the the trend going around the abortion check of these women celebrating their abortions. And again, I know that everybody's story is different. However, that does not negate from the fact of how how incredibly insensitive that is to other women who have experienced it in a different way and who are experiencing it now still what a trigger that can be let's just let's just focus on that right now what a trigger right because these these young women are they're you know they're filming themselves in in the clinics or on their way to get the abortion or walking in or in the room or whatever i i won't forget that mm. You know what I mean? I when I see that, it brings back the memory of being in that room, the way I felt. You know, memories that 
feelings that I don't want to feel again. Right. You know, and they're making fun of it and they're just acting like it's no big deal. Yeah. And they have no idea what I went through. They have no idea what other women have gone through. Right. They have no idea what that what that says to women and how insensitive that is to women, um, women who maybe feel like they didn't have any choices. Right. You know, women who made a decision with their doctor because it was their life or the baby's life. And I'm not here to argue whether or not that's right or that's wrong because this is not pushing a social agenda. But I'm here to say that that's real. Right. A hundred And that really happens. Yeah. And women are really traumatized from that. And then they get on and they see these these girls just nonchalantly posting their uh, their abortion checks like— yeah. What about what the women whose, whose parents weren't there to take them out to get ice cream afterwards? Right, right, exactly. Who weren't there to throw them a party for right. their right and their choice. And, and and their boyfriends who weren't in the room because, you know. Because they were 20-something 20 20 years old. Yeah, 20-something years old and, you know, and yeah. hiding out, you know. And then, yeah. And what about women who are struggling right. to get pregnant and right. who would give anything for a baby? And they watch that. And they watch that. Like, right. come on. Let's, let's, if we're going to be, if we're going to be about women, let's really be about women. Let's be for each other. Right. Yeah. You know? For all women. For all women. <laughs> like, not just what fits your personal agenda or what fits your, it's, it's the complete opposite of understanding that everyone's different. Yeah. It's the complete opposite of celebrating that everyone's different. And what you're doing by posting those abortion checks and being so insensitive, it, what you're doing is you're saying I you're saying I don't have the right to feel. Right. You're saying that I I should feel what I should do. You should feel empowered. I should feel empowered and that I should feel like this is normal and this is no big deal. And what you're doing is you're actually taking away my right to feel regret, right. my my right to feel sad, mm-hmm. my right to um, to feel like I don't have a choice. You know, whatever that is, what you're doing is you're not empowering me. Right. Not Not at all. You're making me feel powerless. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. It's true. For women who are listening right now who have had abortions or men who are listening who, um, who whoever they were with had, had an abortion, what would be something that you would say to them if they have not received the healing that they feel like they need or if they're struggling or if they're struggling with their mental health because of a decision that they felt like they had to make? What would be something that you would say to them and what would be something that they could do to receive help? Well, I would first say that it's okay to have a feeling about it. Like for so long, I tried to tell myself that I didn't have a right to feel. I didn't have a right to feel any kind of way about it because the moment I chose to have an abortion, I gave up that right. But, but that's a lie. You have a right to feel. You have a right to feel regret. You have a right to feel pain. You have a right to process that pain. You have a right to feel those emotions. And you have a right to get help. And there is help out there. I needed help. And I found it. I was able to get into some really good counseling and some support groups. And I had some 
fantastic counselors that walked me through step-by-step, day-by-day, every feeling, every emotion, helped me really process so that I could actually get healing and actually move on with my life. Do you have any of those um, any of those resources that, that might be helpful to someone do. who's listening or somebody who knows somebody who might need some help or need to receive some healing? I do. Um, actually, the Miami Valley Women's Center is a great a great resource. That's where I went and I received post-abortion counseling. Um, I went through their program. They have an incredible program and it's completely free. Um, and um, they, they have a website that you can get on. You can just Google the Miami Valley Women's Center. They have a lot of different locations. So if you're in this area that we're in, you know, and you want to do something face-to-face, that would be available. Um, there is another resource, and I actually liked the, the research I did on this resource. I have not used um, this particular resource that I'm getting ready to share with you, but the resource um, that I'm getting ready to share with you is called the Hope Clinic for Women. And the thing I liked about the research I was doing on this particular resource, the Hope Clinic for Women, is that um, they do not they do not specifically make their counseling faith based because they realize that everybody is in a different place in their faith walk or whether they have faith or they don't have faith and they are still able to and will their program will still apply to you. Like they will still walk it out with you because they're dealing with your um, emotional and mental and physical trauma, um, not just trying to deal with that spiritually, but they're navigating through that even scientifically. So I, I felt like that was really that was really fantastic, um, the fact that they offer that. So Miami Valley Women's Center, great resource. Hope Clinic for Women, awesome resource. And I'll be honest with you guys, there's probably a lot of other great resources out there. So do the research, um, but also we need more. Right. We need more resources. Yeah. We really do. What we don't need more of, we don't need more TikToks with abortion checks and people trying to tell you that this is just super normal and you're not going to have any regrets and it's just you wake up and just decide, oh, I feel like getting an abortion today. That's what we don't need. But what we do need is women being there for women and saying you have the right to feel it's okay to not be okay. Don't stay that way. I'm here to help you. Real, Real supporting women. Real supporting women. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on today, Stefan. I know that even though it's amazing to see you at a place in your life where you're completely healed and whole and restored and, you know, you've pursued the help that you needed to get, even though it came later in life, it's so awesome to see you have a family now and an amazing husband and two incredible boys who I would take a bullet for any day of the week. But um, I'm sure with all that being said, it cannot be easy to tell that story. And I appreciate um, you coming on and, and being vulnerable and, and opening up so that other people can, can receive help. So thank Ab- you for that. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for joining me on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was an honor to be a guest. It was an honor. <laughs> on your podcast today. Yes. Well, thank you guys for listening. I will 
uh, post some of those resources in the episode notes. And I encourage you, if you do need help, to not be afraid to reach out and get the help that you need. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for episode four. Thanks for listening today. And if you'd like to be notified when a new episode is released, you can subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Instagram at Celeste underscore Ely.